Father, this morning as we gather together to worship you and um, Lord, as we uh, enter into the Christmas season, as we're thinking about uh, your first advent when uh, Christ first came to us uh, to rescue us, Lord, I just pray that our hearts right now um, would just be quieted. Um, I don't know the week that everyone had this week. I just pray that in the midst um, of this morning, as we read your word, God, that um, distractions would be cleared and your spirit would just have the space to speak to us. And God, this morning, we're gonna be talking about something that, Lord, is your desire for every single follower of Jesus. But Lord, I also know that it's a topic that is challenging. And so Lord, I I pray just a, a simple prayer right now that every single one of us this morning after we're done studying your word together would have the same attitude and the same response as Mary. When she said to the angel, we just read it, in Luke 1.38, when she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And God, would you give us that response this morning? Whatever you're calling us to. Would the attitude of our heart be one of humility? Where we say to you, God, God, what, whatever you want me to do. Let it be to me according to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray you would do that within our hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I wanna begin this morning just with a, a question. And the question is, what causes a person to have such deep passion for God such a clear sense of his calling that they're willing to sacrifice anything and everything to do whatever God calls them to do. What causes a person to have that kind of zeal for God? That's the question that I want us to ask today. What does it truly mean to give your all to Christ and live according to his call, no matter what that might entail? It makes me think of a man named George Lyle. George Lyle was the first African-American to be ordained as a minister here in America, and he is the first missionary to be sent overseas from America out of anybody. Lyle was born in Virginia in the 1750s as a slave and then was moved as a slave to Georgia, to Savannah, And there in Georgia, both he and his slave master came to Christ. And so his slave master gave him freedom because that's what the gospel does. And so George, now a free man, you know what he decides to do with his freedom? He starts preaching in the slave quarters. He goes to the slave quarters and he preaches the gospel all over Savannah, Georgia. He didn't flee. He didn't go seek a more comfortable life now with his freedom. He stayed put and he preached God's word. And dozens came to Christ. And so he was ordained and he started the first African-American church in America in 1775. 
However, during the Revolutionary War, his old slave master who freed him was killed. And so the heirs to the slave masters, that old slave master's will, tried to re-enslave George, and so he was thrown in jail. And Law was eventually able to produce some paperwork to prove his freedom, and he was released. Before his safety, he needed to leave the country. So they started to pray, what, God, where are you sending me? Where do I need to go? God, whatever you want, that, that's what I'm gonna do. And so in 1783, George went to Kingston, Jamaica. And he discovers there in Jamaica that slaves had also been brought there to work the sugar fields. And so George goes to Jamaica, but not for his freedom. He goes because he's following God's call. And so what, he, what does he begin to do? He begins to preach. He begins to reach all of these slaves and hundreds and hundreds come to Christ. And the authorities didn't like that. So George finds himself back in jail for three years. He eventually gets out. He gets his freedom again, but he doesn't seek a comfortable life. What does he do? He starts preaching again. And as a direct result of Lyle preaching the gospel in Jamaica, I want you to see this, by 1814, all right, after he had landed there, there were eight, now 8,000 believers in Jamaica as a result of his ministry. In 1832, just a few years after George died, there were 20,000 believers there. By 1838, slavery was eradicated in Jamaica. Why? Because that's what the gospel does. And George, what he also did is he preached to his church that God has called us to take the gospel beyond our borders to the entire world. So his church, full of former slaves in Jamaica, had a heart for the nations, a desire to send missionaries. And so as a direct result of his leadership, that church sent missionaries back to Savannah, Georgia. They sent missionaries to Nova Scotia and also to Sierra Leone. All right, this is an example of someone who was born into unjust, terrible, sinful circumstances, who found his freedom and took his freedom and put it before God on the table and said, God, what would you have me do with this? This isn't for me. This is for you. I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And I can all but guarantee that when that man lay his head on his bed and took his last breath, even though he had lived a hard life, even though he had been oppressed, he endured a lot of pain, he sacrificed much, I guarantee he laid down his head a joyful man, fulfilled, happy, and ready to go to be with his savior. Right? What causes someone to live like that? With that kind of self-abandon? What causes someone to be so in touch with God's grace in their life that when they go to their workplace and they see their coworkers, that, that their heart burns for them to know Christ and they'll do whatever it needs to be done to share Christ with them, no, no matter the consequences, no matter the, the social consequences to that. What causes someone to, to want their neighbors in their neighborhood to, to know Christ so bad that they hit their knees every day praying for them and seek to share and to serve, no matter the cost. How is that 
zeal for others to know God produced inside of us that we're willing to sacrifice anything in order to pursue it. Well, this morning, I think we're gonna get an answer to that in our passage that we're studying in the Gospel of Luke. As you know, last week, we began a a new sermon series. We're just gonna go through the Gospel of Luke verse by verse, so we don't have a very creative title for it. We're just gonna call the series Luke. Um, And and so we're gonna work through this. And as you also know, uh, today's the second Sunday of Advent. So traditionally, the church takes the four Sundays before Christmas to think about and celebrate the first advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus. And so we're gonna take the Sundays of Advent to study Luke 1 and 2, which records the first advent of Jesus. So last week, we read about an angel appearing to Zechariah, who was one of Israel's priests, telling him that he and his wife would be having a son, and that son would be named John. So we know John is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, what he would do is be the prophet that would announce the arrival of the Messiah, who is Jesus. So in our passage this morning, we're gonna read about an angel who appears to Mary, telling her that she would be the mother of that Messiah, Jesus. And what I want us to do is I just wanna study what the angel has to say to Mary and Mary's response. And so let's, let's read it again. Uh, we've read it once already, but wouldn't hurt to read it again. So I'm gonna read Luke 1, verses 26 uh, to 38. It's our text for the morning. So it says this, in the sixth month, so that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy from our passage before. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Favored one. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, fair question, how will this be? Since I am a virgin, it's fair. And the angels answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. I made Elizabeth, Zechariah, I made them get pregnant in their old age and I can do the Holy Spirit thing and you will bear a child as well. Verse 38, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. 
So this angel appears to Mary and calls her the favored one. He says, Mary, you have found favor with God. What does that mean, to be favored by God? Well, to be favored by someone is to give someone preferential treatment. That's what it means to favor someone. If you're coaching a sports team and you favor a certain player, you're going to give them more playing time. Right? That means to, to favor them. It's preferential treatment. Might be justified, might not be justified. Or to give someone a favor is to give them something that is beyond what is due to them or what would be normal to give them. And I think the text here is indicating that Mary was receiving some sort of preferential treatment from God. And that he is calling her into something at this point, get this, he has not called many people into. He was calling on Mary to play a significant part in a plan that he has been orchestrating since the beginning. He's calling Mary to take an integral part, to play an integral part in a plan that the Bible says the angels long to look upon this plan because it's so good, it's so glorious. See, ever since man fell into sin in the garden, God has been on a mission to save mankind from their sin. And as he's been unfolding this plan, this is what this, this book is about, by the way. It's, it's the plan. It's the, the mission of God. And so as he's been unfolding this plan through the Old Testament, there have been certain people that he has called upon and he has favored them. He has favored them to play a key part in this plan, in this mission. Noah was favored by God, was selected by God to continue the human race after the flood. Abraham was favored by God to be the father of the nation of Israel. Moses was favored by God to lead Israel to the promised land. David was favored by God to be Israel's king. And see, all of this was part of a much bigger plan that God had to save mankind. And part of that plan was to raise up this nation called Israel to be his people. So this nation would be his people. And God would protect this people. He would be faithful to this people. He would save them. And he would eventually, as he promised, send them a Messiah, a true king who would rescue them from all of their enemies. In fact, God promises this to David, that at some point, someone in David's line down the road would be this Messiah and would be the true king of Israel. And God said to David, he will sit on your throne forever. And so we go back to our text this morning and in verse 26, we read of Mary who was betrothed to a man named Joseph and Joseph was in the line of David. Now, to be betrothed to someone in this culture is, is like being engaged, but, but way more. Uh, when someone is betrothed, right, a formal agreement has already been made for the two to marry. All right, a bride price has already been paid from the family of the groom to the family of the bride. Joseph would already be referring to Mary at this point as his wife. 
And this angel tells Mary that she's gonna conceive a child and that this child would be the son of God, that this child would sit on the throne of David forever. In other words, this child is the Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting for for 400 years. And so, of course, Mary has the right to ask how this is gonna be because she's a virgin. And the angel tells Mary, she will conceive the child of the Holy Spirit, meaning that God will miraculously give her a child and because she conceived of the Holy Spirit, this child would be the son of God. This child would be both God and man and his name would be Jesus. And Jesus would be the one through which God would execute his plan to redeem and save Mankind, And as we're gonna study next week, so come back next week, what we're gonna study is that this child would be the one who would expand God's people from the nation of Israel to all who would believe in him. And so God calls Mary the favored one. Just want you to get this because he is calling her to play an integral part in his mission to bring salvation to all people. So this is what it means to be favored by God. To be favored by God is to be called and invited to participate in God's mission to redeem all mankind. That's what it means to be favored. You're invited into this plan. So like the sports analogy I used earlier, right? I grew up playing football. We had a mission, right? I played on the offense, right? So the, the mission was get the ball into the end zone. That's the mission. And I played on a very large team. There was a lot of people who played on my team. The majority of the people on my team stood on the sidelines and didn't get playing time. Only a few of us had the opportunity to start and to play in the game. We were the favored ones because we were invited to contribute to the mission and not staying on the sidelines. To be favored is to have your number called and invited into the mission. You got a part to play, you got a position to play, go. And so today, God is, he's still on this mission. See, when the angel appeared to Mary, it was just the beginning of Jesus' first advent. And we're about to take the next year to study all about Jesus' first advent through the book of Luke. But within this first advent, Jesus is able to accomplish what needs to be accomplished so that we could be saved from our sins and made right with God. So Jesus lives this perfect life with no sin, but he offers himself on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then he rises again from the dead paying off our debt to God and giving him authority to give eternal life to anyone who would believe in him, inviting us into God's kingdom for all of eternity. So this is what Jesus accomplishes in the first advent. And then here's what he does. He ascends to be with the Father. He leaves us here promising that he's gonna come back in his second advent, right? So right now we wait for Jesus second advent. But my question is, why? Why did Jesus leave? He did everything that needed to be done 
in order to bring the kingdom of God to save us from our sin. That was all accomplished. It was finished at the cross in his resurrection. Then he leaves. And we're here. Why did he go to be with the Father? Why didn't he just end it right there, invite all who believed in him into God's kingdom and punish everybody else who didn't believe in him and judge them? Why? Why wait longer? Why are we still waiting for Jesus to come back? Because the mission is not done. The plan is not finished. God wants more people to call upon Jesus as their savior. God wants your neighbor to call upon Jesus as his savior and your coworker and those in places overseas that have never heard the gospel before. He wants the gospel taken to those places. So this is what Jesus does. Before he leaves to go, he says this to the church. He says this, John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, as the father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Now you go. Or or Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all nations, and then I'll come back. The end will come. Brothers and sisters, what Jesus did in those passages before he ascended to be with the Father is he called your number. I need to tell you something about what it means to follow Jesus. If you consider yourself a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are favored. You're favored. Your number's been called. You have been invited to play an integral part in God's mission to rescue people from their sin. There's no such thing as following Jesus and sitting on the sidelines. You've been called in to the play. God has called upon us as his church to take the gospel to all who do not believe here in Herndon and to the ends of the earth. Right? As Noah was favored, and Abraham was favored, and Moses was favored, and David was favored, and the nation of Israel was favored, and Mary was favored, now you are favored. What Jesus did is he became our mediator to God. He became our high priest to God. So here's what that means. It means you have the same access to God as anybody else. We all have the same call upon our lives. I don't have any special access to God because I'm a pastor. Right? Or missionaries who, who spend their lives taking the gospel overseas, they don't have any more access to God. I'm sorry, the Pope doesn't have any more access to God because Jesus is our high priest. So we all have the same call. We are all favored. We all have the same access to God through Jesus. So we're all in the game now and we all have the same mission. But here's what I want you to see in our text this morning. That to be favored by God and invited into his mission, it means a harder yet better life. 
I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Living for God's mission, living for the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world, it's not easy. Let's just think about Mary for a second. She was betrothed to be married and she was a virgin. Her and Joseph would not consummate their marriage until their actual wedding. And yet Mary was now pregnant. For a betrothed couple to engage sexually before marriage was considered immoral. And so Mary, because she was the woman, let's be honest, would be labeled an adulteress. It would be worse for her. And her story is that an angel appeared to her and said she was, she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Who's gonna believe that? Right, if, if, if one of your kids, if that happened to them and, and they came to you and said, well, an angel appeared to me and I conceived of the Holy Spirit, what would you say? You would say probably what Joseph was thinking, for me to believe that, I'm gonna need an angel to appear to me, which is what happened. Because I think God said we should send an angel to Joseph too. He's gonna need to know this. Matthew 1, verses 19 to 20. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly because she was pregnant and he knew it wasn't from him. So she must have been unfaithful. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's telling the truth. So it was good that Joseph was now on board, but Mary would most certainly be misunderstood. This was not an easy thing for God to ask of her. But as we'll study next week, Mary, as she begins to contemplate what God is doing through her, she is gonna become overcome with joy as she considers the fact that God has given her life the most meaningful, satisfying purpose it could ever have, to be invited into God's mission to redeem the world. This is why Mary says in verse 38, right? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary knew that being favored would mean a harder life, but she also knew that it meant a better life. You could say the same for Jesus himself. God sent his son Jesus to step out of heaven, put on human flesh, live in this broken world, offer his own life as a sacrifice to save us, beaten, tortured, forsaken by his own father. Wasn't an easy thing for Jesus to do. And yet Hebrews 12.2 says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, same thing for Mary. She saw the joy that was set before her to be invited into God's mission, and that meant enduring pain and discomfort now. She despised that as she went with what the Lord was calling her to do. And so let me ask you a question. 
What sounds better to you? Honest. What sounds better to you? Enduring hardship and discomfort in life for something that will fill your soul with purpose and indestructible joy or settling for mediocre comfort while you wonder why you exist. Which sounds better? This is a challenge for us in, in our context. We have access to so many distracting comforts. And our greatest spiritual battle as followers of Jesus in our day and in this place, in this context, in this culture, our greatest spiritual battle is this belief that is lodged deep into our heart that God would never ask us to forsake our comforts to follow him. He wouldn't call me to to, to sacrifice my money or my retirement or my home or my time or my space or my plans to be on his mission. God would never ask me to do that. I think there's something deep inside of us that believes that. Uh, Amy Carmichael, um, faithful uh, missionary to India for 55 years. She once said this. She said, if we were less concerned about ease in our lives, they would tell more for Christ and souls. We profess to be strangers and pilgrims seeking after the kingdom of God, yet we settle down in the most unstranger-like fashion in this world, exactly as if we were quite at home and meant to stay as long as we could. I don't think apostolic miracles have died. Apostolic living certainly has. She uses that word apostolic. What she's talking about is this act of pushing the gospel into dark places, right? The apostle Paul, it's what he did. He pushed the church and the gospel into dark places. And she's like, I don't think apostolic miracles have died, but apostolic living. And so the question that we asked in in the beginning is how does someone get, get this zeal inside of them for others to know Christ that they're willing to sacrifice anything for that to happen. And the answer that we must realize, the answer is that we must realize that every follower of Jesus is favored by God and has been called and invited into the mission. And so you need to realize, I need to realize, that means you. That means me, not not somebody else. Not, Not the missionaries we support not the church planners we support, not people like me who pastor churches, no, you. God sees you as just as an integral part of his mission. He's lavished his grace upon you. He's forgiven your sin. He's called you now son and daughter, and now he wants to redeem your life by unleashing it as a part of his mission. And what that means is that your life might be less comfortable than the world can offer, but it will be a better life. Life where your soul is filled with indestructible joy. And so here's here's my challenge for you this morning. I want you to take Luke 138. Let's put that on the screen, Luke 138. 
This is Mary's response to the angel. Where she says, behold, I'm your servant. May it be to me according to your word. Not my word, not my expectations, not what I want. God, what you want. That's her response. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this verse and I want you to pray this verse every day this week. Will you do that? I'm talking, I'm asking five minutes. Will you pray this verse? Will you go before the Lord and say, God, I want this verse to be true of me. I want this to be my attitude. And as you pray this verse, what I want you to do is I just want you to put everything on the table. Everything. All your comforts, all your plans, all your expectations in life, all your desires, your financial plan, your retirement, your money, your career, everything, everything. I'm not everything. Put it on the table. Put everything. Put your yes on the table. God, the answer is yes before you even call it. Pray Luke 1.38 and ask God what he wants you to do with your life as a favored one. Invited into his mission. Have a journal with you and journal your thoughts. Journal what you think the Lord is saying to you. And here, I have a suspicion. Here's, here's my suspicion. My suspicion is that some of you already know what he's gonna say because he's been saying it. And it's just been easy to, to not recognize it, not acknowledge it. But something's been tugging at your heart. And would you do me a favor? Can I ask this? If the Lord says something to you, if there's something that is tugging on your heart, would you email it to me? I'm serious. You don't have to. Like, I'm not, you know, if I don't get emails from everyone, I'm not gonna judge you. Just, I don't expect to get emails from everybody. But would you, would you, if the Lord says something to you, would you email it to me? My email is on your bulletin or it's on our website. You can find it. It's accessible. But I wanna be your pastor and so what that means is I wanna pray for you and I wanna help you and I wanna equip you. It could be from the smallest thing of like, you know what, I just think the Lord is calling me to, to finally go and meet my neighbors. I've been living in my neighborhood for years and I don't really know my neighbors. I wave at them and that's about it. I wanna pray for you in that by name. I wanna pray for your neighbors. I'll do that. Our elders will do that for you. And maybe you need to be equipped I don't know how to share the gospel with somebody. I don't know how to, it, I don't even know, like, when do I do that? Do I build a relationship? We wanna help you. We wanna equip you. Email it to us. Let's do this together. Or maybe it's something as big as, you know what, the Lord has been tugging on my heart to go overseas or to do ministry in this way or that way or whatever it is. It could be big. As a church, I prayed this morning. I got on my knees in my office this morning and I prayed, God, I pray as a result of what we're studying this morning. Would you call someone out of our church, out of this country, to go to someone and proclaim the gospel? And we would love to equip you. We have resources and connections to equip you to do that. Listen, no, I know I'm scaring people in this room right now. Nothing is off the table. Do we wanna live a life and just settle for mediocre comfort or we wanna go before God and say, God, you've called my number. Everything's on the table. My yes is even on the table. What are you asking me to do? 
Would you take this week and pray Luke 138 every day and ask God to speak to you? If you'll do that, say amen. No, 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 if you'll do that, you all have to. Say amen. amen. All right, let's pray. God, I, I know that to talk about these things is, is scary. I know that to put everything on the table is scary. I know the feeling of being afraid to pray to you and ask certain things because afraid that you're gonna answer the prayer. But God, would you show us this morning that there is abundant joy, abundant joy in giving you everything. Everything. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. Doesn't mean it's gonna be comfortable. Doesn't mean that all the answers are gonna be there for us. But God, would you show us that where each of us want to be, where we truly want to be, is right in the center of your will. Right in the center of where you're calling us. Not holding anything back. And so God, may our prayer and may our response be Mary's. We're your servants. May it be to us according to your word. In Christ's name.